So here with us is Barnaby Jones, here to talk about the cryptic creatures and other things. Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you grew up? Sure. Uh, my name is Barnaby Jones. I am a cryptozoologist. I am the founder and lead investigator for Cryptids, Anomalies, and the Paranormal Society. We are based uh, in the middle of Wisconsin, and um, I also am the host of two podcasts, Whispers from the Dark and Monday Morning Monsters, which is all cryptozoology. So I grew up, I was a um, I was born in California, but I actually spent my entire life in uh, about Appleton, Wisconsin, and uh, I'm, I'm still living around that area, the Fox Valley of, of Wisconsin. So born and raised, well, not born, but raised, <laughs> grew up all, all right here in Wisconsin. But uh, I've traveled all over the United States almost. There's only a couple states that I haven't been to, and uh, I've been to zoos in almost every state that I've gone to. I think I'm down to five or six states, uh, North and South Carolina, Florida, Louisiana, uh, Montana, and Washington, I think are the only states continental that I haven't been to yet. So, and I'll wow. be in South Carolina and North Carolina in March. So, damn, yeah, you're <laughs> over the place. <laughs> Tell me more about when you uh, started getting into the cryptic um, creatures or wanting to go study yourself did you have a personal experience yourself that like got you really wanting to explore more unfortunately no uh i i started out the the earliest i can remember like being interested in all this stuff was um back in elementary school uh fifth or sixth grade i can't remember right now but uh it was the the 90s and uh that's when all the chupacabra reports were coming out of puerto rico and Mexico and stuff. And I, I remember doing an entire research paper on El Chupacabra. Mm. And uh, throughout middle school and high school, I did a lot of paranormal investigating and uh, research and stuff on that and just kind of got into it. I always wanted to be a cryptozoologist. And uh, I I just, you know, when, when you're going to spend a lot of money on a degree in zoology or biology or anything like that, you have to have a, a job that's going to pay, right? And um, <clears throat> zoologists, by statistics, it is easier to get a job uh, on an NFL football team than it is to become a, a zookeeper because uh, huh. there's such a high turnover in the NFL as opposed to, you know, people that become a zookeeper are a zookeeper for life. And there's a very limited number of zoos out there. So that kind of stunted me from going into zoology and, and that for a long time. And uh, I've still been interested in uh, around the, the early 2012 area. I moved, I did a, a seasonal Halloween haunted house and uh, we moved into a haunted location. And we had a lot of experiences there in this building throughout the, the years that we had the haunted house there and we did investigations there and that kind of kept things up in 2019 I ended up going up to the Hyden Adventure in Upper Michigan which is uh, um, 80 acres of private property that uh, was hunting land for Craig and his wife Barb Sulk and they got a trail camera photo of what they believe is a Bigfoot. They sent it into Finding Bigfoot. Finding Bigfoot came out and did an investigation and uh, they ended up opening up their property to people to come and hear the stories and see the evidence that they captured on the property. 
And in 2019, myself and my mom went up there and we took the tour, met Craig, and uh, he introduced me to the fact that there's all this stuff in Wisconsin. And uh, I started reading Linda Godfrey's books and uh, she led me down to Southern Wisconsin and the Burlington Woods. First time that we ever went down there, myself and Derek uh, went down and we just parked in this parking lot outside these woods. And we started hearing like branches cracking and stuff as like something was coming towards us, like something big was moving towards us. And uh, I had this huge spotlight in my car and I, I aimed it along the, the wood line up on the hill there and something uh, was holding down a branch like looking out at us. And as my light came over and hit it, the branch popped back up and uh, like it ducked back in the woods. And uh, it, it was then that we're like, all right, something's going on here because they're supposed to be Bigfoot. They're supposed to be fairies, dogman, all kinds of weird stuff in these woods. So we're like, all right, we're, we're going to get a, you know, I, I went back home and, um, you know, I, I always tell people don't don't go into woods at night if you don't know where you're going and stuff. And, and uh, there's a trail, obviously, in these woods, but it was the first time we ever been down there and we didn't know this or anything. So we're like, now nah, we'll, we'll come back. I went back home and uh, I talked to a bunch of my friends that were interested in this and uh, we took a group of five people down to the Burlington Woods and um, we found a footprint, a, a small, it could be humanoid, human size, but uh, it was a barefoot footprint, uh, a series of tracks that went back from the woods in the exact spot where we had saw that branch move. So something was watching us. Um, so that's how Cryptids Anomalies and the Paranormal Society was formed. We uh, we started those those people and we started working in the Burlington Woods. We started getting more and more evidence, more and more things like that came out of there. We got thermal image of what we believe is a Bigfoot down there. Um, and uh, we're like, well, we got all this audio, all this video. What do, what do we do with this? Do you write a research paper? Do you, what do you do? So I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put together a like documentary and um, put it put it out on on youtube and uh that's what i did i did that as the first one and then <clears throat> we started doing more of um the premise is is if cryptids anomalies and paranormal are all connected somehow and if they are how so that's that's what our group's basis is so we started looking into locations of urban legends and trying to find out if these places were based on something that actually happened there or did something happen there because of high energy or uh, what they call these window areas, right? <clears throat> so we started looking into those. Well, while we're researching all this, I wanted to keep people interested in us. So I ended up releasing our second ever episode is all the footage that we had from our investigations into my haunted house that we had. So I went and I interviewed all my my. Um, actors and my team members from there and I put together the second episode and then the third episode came out that was all <clears throat> excuse me was all the uh, urban legend stuff that we did and then uh, that led us to the Paulding light and uh, it's just kept going from there so there you go that was a very long winded explanation no I'm so <laughs> glad you went with that that is <laughs> that was awesome and how many are in your team did your team get bigger over time oh yeah and I see that your <clears throat> and your, your mother too is interested in mm -hmm. the subject. That is so cool. Like <laughs> your mom is down to go and check out these places with you. Um, I'm all about that. And my family's been very supportive of, with my hobbies and stuff like that too. And, and it was a pleasure to actually get to be a part of your project mm -hmm. that's gonna be coming out next summer. 
Um, the summer coming up. Yeah, I'm excited for that. So yeah, people get to see some of my photographs and uh, uh, the location where I had my sighting. And uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually I'm really excited, and I'm. It was an honor to be a part of that. So thank you. Yeah, uh, you you mentioned my mom. My mom is actually the only person on the team to have actually seen uh, a Bigfoot with her eyes. Oh, oh shit. Okay. She actually saw two, we believe. Uh, the first one would have been up at the Hayden Adventure in Upper Michigan. We did a lot of research. I didn't get into that. But after after the Paulding Light and stuff, we ended up doing a lot more research with um, the Hayden Adventure. And um, she actually got to see one, we believe, come up behind her and stand at the end of a carport. And uh, yeah, so that's that's on one of our, our Finding Hayden episodes on YouTube as well. You can hear the story and see that. And um, then the second one is out as well. That was down in Kentucky. We were actually going to Portal 31, which is a coal mine museum and tour. And you can go down in this coal mine and stuff. And we had got there early in the morning, right? Like, you know, right as, you know, the sun was coming up and everything and super early. And <clears throat> we parked and we were going to shoot like some B-roll of the outside and the surrounding area and that. And she's standing next to the cars. I'm getting equipment out. And she goes, I just saw a Bigfoot cross the road. And uh, we, we go into that a little bit in that episode. And then the the next episode, which is uh, Bigfooting with Turtle Man, we go and we actually show you where it happened and some of that. And then we we eventually go on to, to talk to Turtle Man and, and hear his stories and go Bigfooting with him. So that's but, yeah. so cool. I was going to say that's one of my uh, I like that's one of my favorite episodes from you guys actually going the ghost episode when you guys go into the mine. And then like yep. right before you guys go in there, she had that sighting and you're like, mm -hmm. whoa, that's crazy. Then I did see that other episode where you guys actually go back and you went and said, I'm going to go over here and see where exactly where mm -hmm. you saw him. And that's, yeah, it's really interesting. And you maybe saw a footprint too. That's pretty yeah. interesting. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the turtle man too. That's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's, he's, he's pretty wild. <laughs> oh yeah. That was just, definitely just a fun day. Just his character for sure. Let's stick with Bigfoot for a while. And just to clarify, mm -hmm. I myself, I am not a big Bigfoot enthusiast and, I'm, and my knowledge about it is very basic. And therefore, please excuse if my questions are perhaps <laughs> a little bit naive. Um, Dustin and I, we were talking about cryptids yesterday and we were talking about if there's Bigfoots out there, there must be a population. And there also has to be different bloodlines so that there is no inbreeding or something. So... Mm -hmm. I think that Bigfoot, Bigfoots from different populations would have to meet in order to mate, to keep the bloodline clean. Um, what do you think? Why is it so hard to find Bigfoot? <clears throat> there's there's a lot of theories on that. Um, so your bloodline question, to my understanding, a lot of the, uh, the species like uh, lions and stuff like that and other uh, great apes and that, they don't have as big a problem with the inbreeding as other species. So it doesn't take such a big population. In fact, you know, like purebred dogs and stuff, the the closer you get to the purebred, the, the better and stronger that species actually is. So it's possible that you would not need a huge population to maintain <clears throat> the clear bloodline and stuff. But I, I'm not 100% sure on all that, but I do know that there are certain species that don't. So it's possible as far as that. As far as why we can't find them, uh, there's there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of stories, you know, with with the Native American tribes and stuff and legends there. And um, <clears throat> they were supposed to be like the big brother. 
like our big brothers of the woods and that the natives used to get along with these and and live in harmony with them <clears throat> and what happened was for whatever reason one of them like was kidnapping the children or the women of the tribes and that made the tribes angry so they ended up chasing them off and killing these creatures and they ended up being banished up to the mountains and that's why a lot of the tribes call them the ridge walkers because they're they're up in the the hills and the mountains and stuff because they were just forced out so <clears throat> you can imagine that if you know these tribes are hunting you down and killing you now you're going to avoid humans at all costs because these things have a, a history of of threatening you you know animals are not scared of people you know originally there has to be something that triggers that so if these things are as intelligent as you know we believe they are and everything there's it it, it would make sense that if there is that past that learned knowledge of being afraid or or being hunted by us that they would avoid us there's a lot of other speculation too as far as you know like the military involvement that that there's they avoid humans because humans actively go out and try and hunt them you know and the military tries to get rid of them or whatever it is that they're doing so it there's there's a lot of stuff there but bears also mm -hmm. are hunted by by humans and they mm -hmm. also keep away from humans but though we find them mm -hmm. how intelligent do you think these creatures are pretty pretty intelligent um to the, to the point of bears i'll tell a story here um from up at the Hayden adventure we have gone up there numerous weekends in 2020 we spent almost every weekend from may until uh december up there every single weekend we know that there are black bear on the property they hunt the black bear they bait the black bear There are trail cameras all over that property. And <clears throat> within a 15-minute time frame, there are pictures of my team at a trail camera and a black bear at that trail camera. And I personally and no one on my team has personally seen a black bear on that property. And we know that they're there. We know they're there. Okay. okay? So, I mean, and that's just one thing, you know. Um, as far as, like, why, why other reasons, you know, There's a research done of tigers over in Asia and in India, and uh, they put up these trail cameras on the trees and the tigers would literally come up from behind the tree, reach around and claw the crap out of these cameras to disable them. And and they learned this because obviously they knew that these tigers were there. I think there's a lot more evidence, a lot more video trail cam experiences out there that people are just afraid to share. And, you know, for, for like, let's say if you guys had a, a, or if I, if I have a Bigfoot on my property and I get a trail camera picture of one, right now, if I let that out there, everyone's going to think that I'm crazy, you know, that, you know, oh, you have this, yeah, whatever, you know, but no, I have it really, you know? And another thing is then you're going to get the other side of the people that want to come on the property. I want to see it. You know, I want to come out there, trespass, do whatever. Now you're going to have those people on your property. And you also have these hunters that are going to be, you know, the, the nut jobs that are out there that are just trying to kill these things and, you know, prove that they're real are going to want to come on that property and, and do that. You know, it, it draws a lot of attention, a lot of ridicule. And the average person just does not want that. If these things come out that they are real, which we know that they are, that you know, and it, it becomes this species that everyone is aware of, 
there's going to be a lot more people coming forward and saying, yeah, I have these pictures. I've, I've seen one and stuff. You know, look at Sasquatch Chronicles. There's an entire podcast dedicated to just sightings of these creatures, you know, and and even if 50 percent, even if 75 percent of those people are making up the story or or whatever, that's still 25 percent of those are legit sightings. How do you how do you uh, reconcile that? How do you you know, where did these footprints come from? There's there's too much substantial evidence to say that this is not a real thing. I don't know what it is, but there is something that people are seeing. Now, I was going to say, too, like Wisconsin <clears throat> had that uh, discovery back in like the early 1900s of two kids went into a cave and found 18 fully erected skeletons of giants, like 10, nine feet tall. And uh, I think they were at the Chicago Museum just for a little bit until the public started really freaking out about them and they didn't put them back in the back room and who knows what happened to them. Do you think there might be some links to the giants in the past that have been reported to the now sightings of Bigfoot? Well, that's that's a good question. I've thought about that a lot. There's there's actually two different things going on there because there's also, along with these big brother creatures that the natives talk about, there's also the red-haired giants. Mm -hmm. And the red-haired giants were a lot more of a industrialized people. Um, they were found all over Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, um, and down into Illinois, I believe, as well, this, this race. And they were found in all these mounds, the mound-building people and stuff, and they were buried all over this area. Now, the issue with that, though, is from the reports of these things uh they have six fingers and a double row of teeth and there is no handprint data set of a six-fingered bigfoot and everyone that has seen them you know yell at them growl at them up close and personal no one has ever reported double rows of teeth in these bigfoot now there is some speculation that the double row could indicate like molars, you know, where you see the, the molars of the double row in the back or stuff like that, that they're just a misrepresentation. But um, the other thing is, again, these things were found with, with weapons, spears, shields, and other things that they were supposed to be unburied with. And uh, the red haired giants were also supposed to be mining people. And they came up here for the copper mines and, and did all of that. And again, there's no, uh, there's no reports of that kind of activity with the Sasquatches. You know, there's, there is some tool use, the rock throwing and uh, you know, like basic primate tool use, but nothing more advanced than that. No, no real reports of fire or, you know, sharpening of sticks and stuff like that. So. Since you mentioned footprints before, I saw photos of footprints on your website, footprint, mm -hmm. footprints of Bigfoot. Now, we have these footprints, and I'm interested where these footprints begin and where they end. You would think that you just have to follow these footprints and then inevitably come to where these creatures are, right? Yeah, that would be the common uh, thought there. But the problem is, is if you ever look for footprints like this in the woods, there is so much leaf litter and such a hard floor in the woods that it just does not lend itself to footprints. You have to look for these like on the edges of uh, like water or very muddy lowland marsh areas. And in that case, you do find footprints occasionally. Um, a lot of the ones that we have on our website were ones that we found 
and they're all typically in low areas where there's there's standing water that leads to to this mucky ground and i mean it does dry out eventually you know but um they they have these areas and that's where we're finding the prints uh you can find uh at the Hyden adventure they had a wet footprint that they actually found crossing one of their their gravel roads they heard something back there they walked back there and they found a wet footprint that is really fresh and took pictures of it and then it dried right in front of their eyes so they they knew that this thing had been right there and that was before we had started investigating up there but um uh the picture is in his book and everything that is out there so um but as far as why we can't follow them i mean we only typically find like one maybe two prints in a set and uh, a lot of people want to say that this is because they they can go interdimensional or or travel like that and and that you know it's possible we don't have one that's you know in front of us to study who knows what we don't know but uh i i always say you know when people ask me what i think they are i go by what i've experienced i'm open to the interdimensional theory i'm open to the ufo theory or wherever these things are coming from but i have never seen evidence to support that personally um a lot of people point to the orbs as you know these these interdimensional things and stuff and um i've seen an orb in the woods uh we were out at the hide adventure uh doing a night investigation and I actually saw a blue basketball size orb float through the woods. And uh, I had my thermal camera out and I was looking at it and um, it shows up on the thermal camera, but it does not show up as a heat or a cold. It shows up like a soap bubble, just a round distortion of the image. And uh, that's that's on our episodes. You can look at it on YouTube and everything. It's it's on there. So it, it, it wasn't hot, wasn't cold. I don't know what it is. And everyone that's, that's out in the woods says, okay, well, we're out bigfooting and we see these, these orbs. Well, you're out in the woods, right? So who's to say that your, your confirmation bias here, you know, you're, you're in the woods, you're looking for Bigfoot and you see an orb. So obviously this orb has to do with Bigfoot. You know, it, it absolutely does not have to do with Bigfoot. It can just be a completely different phenomenon that you're experiencing out in the woods. Uh, and again, you know, people say, well, we've seen UFOs and we've seen Bigfoot together. Well, if UFOs are abducting humans and other animals, cattle, whatever, uh, who's to say that they're not also abducting Bigfoot? You know, well, we saw Bigfoot get off a UFO. Well, sure. Maybe he got taken just the same as you did. You know, there's there's definitely these correlations that you see. And uh, it's possible that Bigfoot was flying the UFO or it's possible that Bigfoot was just being abducted, same as any other person that that has an abduction story. So I heard yeah. this crazy story about this guy who went to the woods hiking with his wife. I don't know. Can't remember. He said he felt it felt like the earth was shaking and he heard this crazy sound. And then they found footprints of a deer, like if a deer was running pretty fast. And suddenly you see footprints of a Bigfoot behind the footprints of the deer. And then the footprints of the deer ends and the footprints of the Bigfoot ends. So the theory is it appeared behind the deer, um, hunted it for a while and then grabbed it and disappeared. Yeah. And I heard there's another story too, where the guy actually was hunting and uh, he spotted a Bigfoot. And I think it was charging toward him and he shot at it and it just like faded away like in a mist. So it's, <clears throat> yeah, like inter you think interdimensional, 
they have their i don't know vortexes or other portals out there i know like burlington has a vortex that actually if you go to certain places and you start taking pictures your pictures are all swirly or all wacky with other crazy lights going over halter skelter through the pictures <clears throat> uh, i think mary um mary Sutherland. yeah she does yep. tours that's no, exactly does... where we were oh cool that's fucking dope <laughs> Yes. <laughs> has anything ever been found that could be a sleep in place or um, some kind of yes. i don't know camp that could have been used by bigfoots yeah there's actually been two pretty famous uh sightings of what they believe to be nests now the great apes like orangutans gorillas and stuff uh they're too big to sleep up in trees for the most part they usually tend to sleep on the ground so it's it's believed that these uh sasquatches would also make these nests on the ground. And there have been two pretty famous areas that have um, been found like that. One, the most recent was uh, on Expedition Bigfoot. Uh, the third season, they found one, I believe it's up in uh, Washington. And uh, they found two nests that they believe were up there. And uh, the Olympia Project uh, in Olympia, Washington, up on the Olympic Peninsula also found several nests, an entire nest site. And uh, they've been doing a lot of research on that site. It, it's abandoned now, but it was pretty fresh when they originally found it. And uh, just, I think, this past year, they discovered a new nest site not far from the original one that they found. So there are these big kind of bowl-shaped uh, structures, kind of like a bird's nest on the ground, and they're full of, like, pine boughs. So they're very soft and springy. But other than that, I mean, we've we've never found anything. We we've we've started some new theories this year as to where to look for that because a lot of the times when we get reports and stuff, it's in like the hardwood forests and that. And uh, these things are supposed to be like in more of the cedar swamps and stuff. And so we're going to be looking more for areas where you can find these these pine boughs, the cedar boughs and stuff, as well as a running water source. So you have fresh water and you have the building materials for these nests. Mm -hmm. And we're going to start looking in areas like that more to try and narrow down the search grid of, you know, these things can be found anywhere, but they got to be sleeping somewhere, you know. So we're going to we're going to try and focus it on that. I'm sure you heard about the Gigantopithecus, really, really big ape that used to live in the rainforest of Asia very long time ago. And it was like, I don't know, eight to 10 feet in size, approximately. Mm -hmm. And um, I think up to 1,300 pounds in weight. Some think Bigfoot could be one of them. I think it's definitely possible. Um, the, the problem with Gigantopithecus, and I, I don't know like how many people realize this, is the only evidence for Gigantopithecus we have right now is a molar. And they have constructed this entire body story you know, history of this creature off of a tooth. And that that just boggles my mind. I mean, like, you know, we're talking about like dinosaurs and stuff and you find complete skeletons that are, you know, fully formed in rock in the shape that they're supposed to be and everything. And this tooth was actually found in uh, an apothecary store, I believe, as a dragon tooth or something that it was being sold as for like uh, medicinal reasons and stuff. 
And uh, a scientist walked into the store and found this thing and said, well, this is, you know, nothing like I've ever seen. And they found this and, and brought it in. And this whole creature was just based on this one tooth that they found. Now, granted, I mean, you can look at other fossil specimens and stuff and see resemblances that and kind of, you know, extrapolate and, and, and make these connections. But, you know, you have so much other evidence for Bigfoot. And, you know, you have the footprints, you have the hair samples, the sightings, the reports, all this stuff, and they refuse to look at this specimen, but yet they will create an entire animal off of a tooth. That, that just boggles my mind. Government cover-up, maybe? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what can you tell us about the communication of these beings? There are many videos out there where we hear sounds that are supposedly coming from Bigfoots. The Sierra sounds, for example, I just <laughs> listened to them today. Yeah, so the Sierra Sounds is probably one of the most famous ones uh, uh, recorded by uh, Ron Moorhead and his partner in the Sierra Nevada mountains. And uh, so there's a guy, uh, Scott Nielsen, and he's a cryptolinguist for the United States military. And uh, his son wanted to do a research paper on either Bigfoot or Loch Ness Monster or something interesting like that. And so he's talking to his dad, Scott, and he says, well, what do these things sound like? And uh, Scott says, well, let's look it up. So he goes online and finds the Sierra Sounds, and he starts listening to it. Now, keep in mind, this guy is a crypto-linguist for the military. His job is to uh, not translate, but transcribe, uh, write down what he's hearing. So any any language that he's he's uh, told to write down, he, he makes like a, a script off of that, of what was said. And uh, he's he's listening to these Sierra sounds, and he says, "There's there's a language here." Now, obviously, he doesn't know what they're saying, but he he dove into this. He he approached um, Ron Moorhead, got the original tapes, all the tapes, listened to them straight through, and and over time, actually transcribed the entire audio of these creatures. And based on his his research and knowledge and stuff of transcribing other you know human speech patterns and stuff he heard what he believes is speech back and forth between these and in, in to the point where he can actually uh, believes there's more than one and there's a female and a male. And I, I think a juvenile as well in the Sierra sounds. And um, he was able to like write down the conversations between these two creatures and even create like a phonetic alphabet of, of their language it's really interesting stuff. He's he's a really interesting guy. He's got all kinds of documentaries and stuff. So if that's true, there's other people that have come forward with similar audio of these things. And in fact, I, I've actually heard this, what they call like the samurai chatter uh, up at Haydn as well one night. <clears throat> and um, there was two of them going back and forth on the ridge. Uh, very brief one said something the other one answered back and that's all i really got but i've heard that chatter uh in person i have also heard the the whoops audio um we've we've captured that up at the heightened adventure as well and we've captured howls that uh, we believe are from these creatures and um the whoops and the howls are more of like the the primate vocalizations the orangutans use very similar vocalizations and uh, you have creatures like the gibbons who use the whoop sound that can be carried for up to I, I can't remember several miles like four miles or five miles you can hear these things throughout the the jungles and stuff so um it's it's believed that you have pockets of these animals you'll have a female and some juveniles living in each area 
and they have their territories. And then the large male would travel between those territories to mate with the females as they become ready and uh, willing to accept him. So that's that's kind of like how they they believe that these things are. And then the howls would be either a communication of, you know, location or get out of my territory kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, just my two cents here. I have also often heard that experts have said that these sounds cannot be produced by humans. Anatomically, it's not able to do so, so to say. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, I don't think so. Like I said, just my two cents here. I myself have been a singer for many years, and I know what a well-trained vocal cord is capable of. Just remember, there are people who are capable of throat singing or Mm -hmm. singing a a very deep tone and at the same time, a very high tone at the same time. This is crazy. You should listen to it. It's really crazy. And many other vocal coaches and people who deal with such things also will say the same thing. I think that these noises are reproducible by humans. But of course... I don't know the ultimate truth and I want, I don't want to be the guy calling fake here. No way. This is just my humble opinion on this subject. But I, like I said, I heard these videos many times and this is really crazy. And it reminds me some kind of the old, the old uh, Kung Fu movies that I saw <laughs> when I was just a child, when they communicate and talk like, blah, 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 blah. but it's so crazy that it could be true. That's exactly where you get the the name Samurai Chatter is from that. You know, as you said, it sounds very much like that. Uh, on, on your note of the the how they, they communicate and stuff, the the Scott Nelson, the, the cryptolinguist, um, said that the humans could not re- reproduce this audio. And it's not the tone. It's the speech pattern in the Sierra sounds that these sounds are actually being created both on the inhale and the exhale. And he said that the human were not able to to do that with the vocal cords. So I'm, I'm not an expert, but that was how he described why they were not capable. And then the other reason is because a lot of these, the howls and that, uh, from experience as well, I mean, I'm not a professional singer or anything like that. I'm not trained, but these howls are too long for the lung capacity of an average human to be able to, to reproduce that volume for sustained amount of time it takes a very large lung capacity to make these howls and the sounds that we're hearing Mm -hmm. Hmm. tell that mariah carey (laughs) (laughs) well then mariah carey can come out in bigfoot and howl with us (laughs) all right i was also going to ask you too is there any popular sightings in canada because i think because canada has such a vast natural forest that that'd be a perfect spot Oh, yeah. I don't know if you, there's, do you know any personal stories? I don't know any personal. I know there's a lot of sighting reports and stuff up in Canada, especially like British Columbia and again, the Olympic Peninsula over there by above Washington and stuff. Um, but as far as like specific sighting reports out of Canada, I, I'm not familiar with any that I could tell you. Um, sure. I believe the, the Albert Ostman case, isn't that up in Canada? I think it might be. Yeah. You know the one I'm talking about, the guy that got kidnapped in a sleeping bag and um, yeah. got taken away and the Bigfoot wanted him to mate with his daughter and all that stuff, that that whole story, <laughs> I think. <laughs> okay, it's getting pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. Albert Osman. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I'm I think I, I did sure hear about that, that one. Canada. That dude gets dragged in his sleeping bag and he has, ends up meeting a bunch of different ones all 
but not, I, don't, I didn't hear about that. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know if they're he wanted them for sex. That's pretty funny. <laughs> that's what he claims the big oh, okay. the, the adult wanted him to mate with his daughter and that's that was his story so he was using sign language yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's the opposite of a shotgun wedding right there. yeah <laughs> let's talk oh, about some is... other cryptids i mean you talk about the one in germany yeah, it's not specifically in Germany. It's in the French Alps and in the Bavarian Alps, and it's called a Tatzelwurm. Tatzelwurm. I can show you a picture if you want to. This is the Tatzelwurm. The last sighting, I think, was uh, 20 years ago. This is, of course, a very old um, interpretation of it. It's this creature with, like, uh, bird-like feet, and the head is, like, the head of a, a wild cat. With sharp claws. Sometimes they say it's pretty small. Some say it's pretty big. It's a crazy creature. And look at this thing. They say that it um, attacked hikers and people that roamed around in the area and bit them. Of course, like I said, there's an old picture, of course, like from the medieval times. But the last sighting um, is from 20 years ago, I think. Look at this thing. Imagine this thing standing right in front of you, looking at you. Don't bring death upon me. <laughs> and he's like, oh, there's some really chunky legs you got right there. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. This is a Tatzelworm. Have you heard about it? I have not heard of that. It actually kind of looks like a dragon. Yeah, and makes you think if stories about dragons, mm -hmm. maybe this is the origin. Oh, there are so many different styles and types of dragons. Each country has their own versions of it you know you, and and that thing you know definitely i'm not familiar exactly with the, the the german style of a dragon looks like but uh that definitely has you know kind of like the scale and and the the clawed footprints and stuff that that would lead you to you know follow along that trend yeah. it's very interesting when you look at like cryptids from around the world and that um different areas have very similar creatures and they all call them different things you know, it, it depends on where it is, because before the Internet, before people traveled and, you know, did all this stuff, they'd see something, they'd name it. And, you know, now you have the exact same creature somewhere else in the world and they named it something completely different. But you have to look at all these different creatures and you start seeing similarities, you know, like like Bigfoot back to that. I mean, we have Bigfoot across the entire world. It's just named different things. And even, you know, things like Mothman, if you look into that lineage and stuff, you have very similar things around the world. The Chupacabra even has relatives around the world, you know, different lock, you know, the, the Loch Ness monster and then the lake monsters and stuff, you have those all around the world. So that's why it's, it's very possible that a lot of these creatures could be, you know, legitimate animals and stuff because, you know, you have the relatives, the similarities, you know, like other animals, like antelope species, large cats, you know, the other things like that, that you find all over the world, bears and, and, and stuff like that. So we've gone out looking for the dog man, uh, which is, you know, obviously from Wisconsin, you have the beast of Bray road sightings, you know, again, down by Elkhorn and Burlington and that uh, we've done some research into that. We've gone looking for it, but we have not found anything anything on it um a lot of witness reports and stuff like that but uh no footprints no sightings no thermal nothing that i could put a foot on you know that says 
Yeah, this is here. We are planning on doing a little more research in that. We have uh, some more recent sightings that we're going to be looking into. We followed up on one over in uh, Michigan last year, but didn't get anything off of that. Um, we've also done work on the Mothman, uh, the original sightings out in Point Pleasant. We went out there and did some work. And uh, there's been a lot of sightings around Chicago, Illinois. And uh, we spent some time down there doing research, talking to witnesses and trying to figure out, you know, if these things are real, where are they living? You know, how are they living? Because you don't, Bigfoot, Dogman, you know, the lake monsters, you have reports of them living, right? You know, they're, they're moving, there's young ones, they reproduce, they're eating. You have these natural things that people are reporting off of them. Creatures like Mothman, it just appears and hovers there. No one has ever said they were driving down the road and saw this creature that looked like Mothman eating a dog on the side of the road, right? And then flew away. You don't have those reports. You don't see like, well, I saw a two foot tall Mothman, you know, so obviously there's a baby. You don't have those reports. They're all these same, very similar report creatures, very similar sightings. So it leads you to believe that these things are not the flesh and blood like other creatures would be that if this mothman is real and people are seeing it 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 is possible that it is not something normal it is interdimensional extraterrestrial or something it's existing outside or it's existing off of something other than what we consider normal food you know uh and that would be you know like these some people have these like um like energy vampires or you know stuff like that there's there's these interdimensional beings and stuff that are supposed to feed off of negativity uh depression anxiety and that you know you have a lot of that in the paranormal realm and um it's possible then that these mothman are are feeding off of that or or something of that nature so it's it, but even still then that would be something that is not uh what we consider normal you know, it'd be, you know, the, the yeah. paranormal. So, yeah. What's that other cryptid in Wisconsin up north? Um, Hodag? The Hodag, yeah. Can you tell, yeah. The, tell Daniel a bit more about the Hodag? Sure. <laughs> yeah. So the Hodag is, uh, we'll say that it's not a, I, I say this weird, It it's not a real creature. You know, and we're, we're talking about Bigfoot and Loch Ness and Mothman like they are. But the Hodag is very much considered not real uh it is a, a mythological creature uh so what happened was back in the days of the logging industry and stuff these these loggers would make up stories and tell tales out in the woods to to pass the time and they saw this creature that had the head of like an elephant and this long tail with spikes all the way down its back dark green fur and um they they saw this animal and it was reported in a newspaper this is true and uh, a guy by the name of Eugene Shepard went out into the woods and he he shot and killed one of these creatures. And he ended up bringing it back to town and uh, showed it off. And I, I don't remember what happened to it. Something happens to this creature and he decides that he wants to bring one back alive. So he goes out back into the woods and he finds one of these creatures sticking out of a hole in the ground. So he takes a, a broomstick with chloroform at the end of it and he puts it to sleep and him and a bunch of his other logging buddies drag the creature out of the hole and they take it back to his house. And he digs, digs this big pit in his backyard and he puts logs over the top of it and he traps this creature in there. 
Uh, so then he ends up taking the the hodag out to the state fair and the festivals or the, the county fair, I'm sorry, and showing this thing off in a tent. And you can pay a nickel and you go in there and you see this creature snarling and growling at you. And um, he takes it back home. And word of this creature gets out. This is all true. Word of the creature gets out. And uh, there are two two very huge players that get interested in this. The first one is P.T. Barnum, the uh, circus uh, mogul you know and he's like if this thing exists i want it in my show and the second is the smithsonian institute so both both players are dispatched to wisconsin to come and take a look at this well word gets to eugene about that these guys are coming and uh right before they get there it just so happens that the hodag breaks out of the pit in his backyard and escapes but eugene shepherd decides that he doesn't want to let them down so he carves this giant uh, wooden log sculpture of this creature and puts it in the pit instead. Well, when uh, P.T. Barnum gets there, being the consummate showman that he is, he realizes that this is just a hoax and a, a shenanigan and stuff. And he goes back to the East Coast and tells everyone that the Hoday is nothing but a myth. Well, I'll tell you one more thing, that the, the tent show was actually a giant puppet that Eugene's two kids operated, and uh, he had a microphone and was like growling and snarling into it. So when you went in this, you thought that this thing was real. What happened was, is that this all took place right at the round of the time when Rhinelander was this huge logging city, right? And the logging industry was kind of fizzling down at this time. And a lot of the people were leaving the city and, and the industry was going down and they were losing revenue. And by bringing this in, he basically created a whole new revenue stream and a whole new life force for Rhinelander that this this tourist destination and if you've ever been to Rhinelander Wisconsin you know that there's hodags everywhere there's actually one on the shelf right back here I can't reach <laughs> it but he's back there and um so there's there's this whole industry this whole town based on this hodag but again the whole thing was a setup by Eugene Shepard who was was trying to gain publicity for the town but Again, you remember that before Eugene Shepard perpetrated this entire hoax, there was something that was seen out into the woods. And uh, the common thought is, is that the hodag actually could have been uh, woolly mammoths that were still around at the time, right when they were starting the, the logging industry and stuff up in the deep woods and, you know, the, the glacial woods. And Rhinelander's pretty cold, even March and April, it's still pretty cold up in, in northern Wisconsin area in there. So it's possible that what they were seeing was, you know, something out there, you know, but it definitely was not the, the snarling toothed, spiky tailed creature that we all come to know. There you go. That's, that's the whole day. <laughs> no, that's an awesome story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. No, I was gonna say me and Daniel were actually just talking about um if prehistoric animals can could still exist today, like uh um the one in Africa and the Congo. Um Mokele Yes, Mbembe. yes, that one. And then there's another like island in South America that they claim that pterodactyls still kind of roam and uh kind of flock to that area again when you just mentioned the mammoth thing it kind of just reminded me of that like could certain things survived that long ago and you know did the asteroid destroy all the animals at that time or did some of them survive like you see like the coelacanth that one fish it's mm -hmm. prehistoric and then you see well the, like the reptiles that we have today they were still around with the dinosaurs so like how they survive and the dinosaurs didn't i it is a big mystery. I was just wondering if you heard of any other dinosaur stories 
or any other prehistoric mammals that still claim to be around? Yeah, there are still actually some mammoth sightings uh, and T-Rex and raptor sightings uh, down in Texas. There's wow. very small, like upright lizard creatures resembling what you would think of like a Jurassic Park velociraptors running around in Texas. Um, <laughs> there's been some people that have them on their security cameras and uh, some footage of them like downtown running down the streets and stuff. So I don't know what's all about that, but um as well as uh, the flying pterosaurs, the the pteranodons and other creatures like that. In fact, um, one of the guests on my show, Monday Morning Monsters, recently was uh, Robert Kreider from Kreider Exploration. And uh, he got reports right by his house of a flying pterosaur creature. And uh, he was coming back from a Bigfoot expedition down south. He lives in um, uh, New Mexico. I, I hope that's right. I think it's New Mexico. And... Um, he is coming back to his house from a Bigfoot expedition and saw one of the flying pterosaurs cross the road and then fly right next to his car. Oh, and that was a couple months ago. And uh, he's looked into that and the farmers and stuff in this area of New Mexico, uh, they all know that they exist. They've, they've even found uh, nests with eggs, uh, hatched <laughs> eggs and stuff up on the cliffs there. And uh, to the farmers, this is a very real thing. And uh, as far as they do not like them because they come down, they attack their their uh, livestock and stuff. And uh, it's more it's less of a oh, my gosh, these things exist as more of a get your gun. These things exist. We need to get rid of them. You know, holy shit. But, uh, yeah. yeah. As I said earlier, there must be a big population of it if they still exist, mm -hmm. because can keep a population alive with three or four uh, specimen. You would mm -hmm. guess where are they? Well, any yeah. animal, if you, you know, you look at tigers or lions or anything, if humans get out of the way and let them do their thing, they will repopulate. So it just takes a small handful in a, a very remote location. You know, the, the United States, there's a lot of it that's unexplored. And now, you know, well, where are these things? Why haven't we been seeing these these pterosaurs this whole time? You know, why why haven't we been seeing Bigfoot this whole time? You know, more and more sightings are coming out. Well, because these things have been put into such a small pocket and as they breed, they expand and they need more territory. So this family unit goes off over there. This family unit goes off over there and they expand their territories. When those territories bloom out, they need to expand. And as they expand out, they're crossing more and more into human populated areas, you know, and that's why you're starting to see these things more and more and more. And, you know, with the, the encroachment on the woods and stuff for Bigfoot, you know, these things have been sighted out digging through the trash behind malls, you know, the food court dumpsters and stuff, you know, there's, there's uh, reports of, I think it's out in, in California, there's a mall and the security cop heard some ruckus who drove around behind the mall and there's a Bigfoot jumps out of the dumpster and takes off. Whoa. You know, oh, these, shit. these things are right there. You do not have to go into the middle of nowhere to find a lot of these creatures. They're right in your backyard. And they realize that they do not want to be caught. You know, you, you, any of these animals, they don't want to encroach on humans because unless you're actively feeding them, which is a bad idea, they're going to avoid you. Any animal is because, you know, we're scary creatures and do bad things to nature. So they're, they're not going to want to interact with you unless you have food. And, uh, you know, they're, they're coming, they're right there. That is. I, I have another cryptid for you from Europe. If you want to yeah. see it, you can share yeah. it on the screen. Wait. 
what we have here is the Chevaudan beast. Mm -hmm. They said it roamed around in France. I think it says 1765 here. They say it killed around mm -hmm. 100 people there. And it, it's almost <laughs> like a wolf, but it's maybe a hybrid. It's much bigger than a wolf. And the head was strange. And the, the chest was very, very big. And uh, the, the backside was pretty weak and small. And the tail was strange. But they said it killed a lot of people. It had a hunger for human flesh. It killed many humans, children, women, and farmers. Yeah. It's wild. That one I actually have heard of. That one uh, pops up a lot in the Dogman lore and stuff like that when you look at oh. around-the-world creatures and stuff. But, yeah, that one is definitely a unique case and stuff as well. Um, I don't remember that one ever being, like, upright. It was always seen on all fours. Um, you know, it's like you hear like the dogman cases or werewolf of it standing up and that I don't remember any reports of it being upright. No. But uh yeah, that definitely was a very unique canine and uh and we even thought too that a lot of these prehistoric animals could be hiding in our oceans, deep in the oceans. Oh like, yeah. The fact that we only know ten percent of what's down there. <laughs> that just well blows my mind that we know so much about their our own universe. And we don't know anything that's going on in our own planet down below. Let's change the topic a little bit. In the beginning, you talked about um, the paranormal. You told us that you were in a in a haunted house when you started. You're still into the paranormal or mm -hmm. not anymore? Yeah. Do yeah. you have some paranormal stories for us? Sure, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I have I've done a lot of stuff. Uh, my my haunted house actually was like a, a Halloween style haunted house. Uh, we had actors that jump out and scare you and stuff like that. But the attraction was in a haunted building as well. So for I think three years we we operated out of this, and I was out there, you know, almost twenty four seven, you know, working on this, building it, and and doing the construction stuff. And uh, we had, I'd had the haunted house for two years prior to this. So when we moved into this building, um, we were setting up a lot of the sets and the scenes and stuff. And uh, I, there's, there's two skylights in the roof of this, the hangar part of the building that we were in. And uh, I was setting up these scenes and I was going to do the, the scenic lighting of the rooms. Right. But during the daylight and even late into the night, like nine o'clock at night for us here, pretty late. Um, it's still light coming through these, these skylights. So it's very hard to do. So one night I, I had to go out and do lighting. So I went there in the middle of the night and uh, I, I went in there by myself. There's security cameras all over the building for, for my sake, you know, for, you know, if, if uh, a customer goes through and hits one of my actors or something like that. So they're set up to watch the, the customers, not the rooms. Right. So I know that I'm alone. I know there's no animals, no other people in this building at this time. And uh, I'm I'm walking into one scene and there's it's a, a swamp scene and there's these big dock floats around the edge of a pond. And then there's a big waterfall that falls down into this this water. And there's the, the dock floats are big, like foot and a half by foot and a half styrofoam blocks with all these like fake ferns and stuff stabbed into them. And then there's these big six foot fake trees. You know, like you find in a doctor's office or something, you know, and they're all throughout this area. So I walk in into the room and I go to the far end of the room and I'm looking back down at the whole scene. And uh, there's only some very small pin LED lights in there lighting this up at this point because I haven't done much work yet. I have a hat light, but it's not on. 
and one of these trees i see the branch is just lightly bobbing like this and so this this building has eight foot tall walls for my haunted house and there's no air movement in the summer it is just dripping wet in there so there's no wind there's no reason why this branch is moving so it catches my eye because it's the only thing moving in the room and i'm looking at this branch and it's it's just lightly bobbing like this like that's so weird so again we had known this place is haunted and stuff prior to that and we've seen things shadow people and stuff in there and i i walked towards that branch and i get about from me to the other side of that dock float away from it and the whole tree starts violently shaking and i take a step back away from it and the tree lifts up and falls over the top of the dock float where i had been standing hmm. and there's there's nobody there the the tree is backed up against like the waterfall so there's there's two pallets standing on ends as it makes kind of like the rounded backside of this waterfall for the scene there's there's no way a person could be back there so i i hightailed it out of there i left and uh the next day i came back with some more of my workers and stuff and we looked at this thing you know i don't, I don't know if you guys are familiar with weebles they're this old toy they're weighted on the bottom and they you can like tip them over and they pop back mm -hmm. to standing okay yeah, yeah. okay yep. so these these trees have a cement or plaster base about that thick right and so when you tip it over it's weighted and it flies back up so it would take a lot of force to get this thing to tip over like for us to do it and recreate it we had to yank that thing to get it to fall over and it had to go over a foot and a half styrofoam dock float to get up and land on the path where it was crazy so that that to this day is still my 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 <laughs> craziest paranormal experience wow. um we've caught voices on at, at that location uh we have a little girl that says scary and i'm scared uh we've seen a little boy uh or a little child i guess uh shadow figure that will come and peek out around walls and stuff at us um i've been standing around the entire attraction as a five foot fire exit hallway and i was standing in that fire exit working on a pneumatic prop and uh i heard footsteps just walking down the the floor towards me and i'm again the only one there uh -huh. uh, so we've had a lot of experiences there uh we've done a lot of other things uh one of the coolest places we've got to investigate though was uh, gettysburg pennsylvania we went out there and uh we actually heard a cannon fire at about oh. two in the morning wow. and a musket shot huh. and uh this was both in the area of where the night battle of gettysburg took place and uh it's it's really interesting and it makes a lot of sense so i had a a um an ir camera so it only shot in red light so it didn't ruin your night vision stuff so i'm taking pictures of this this forested area that we were in and i i wasn't getting a lot and the batteries in my camera died i left the rest in my car so i didn't have them with me out where we were so i said okay i'm going to switch over to my actual white bright flash photography camera and I started taking pictures, and that's when we heard the cannon go off. Now, we had a, a guide there with us that was familiar with the history and, you know, told us the stories and stuff. Um, and he said, you know, this is, this makes sense because during the night battle, the way they targeted their opponents 
was watching for the flash of their musket fire. Oh, shit. So here I am out there with this flash camera shooting into the darkness, and we get a cannon, and we get a musket fired back at us. So that was really cool. I would have shit my pants, man. (laughs) Oh, dude, I've been running. I'd be... Give me the fuck out of there. <laughs> well, they didn't throw anything at me like the tree, so I was all right. <laughs> oh, 